Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. All right, Dan, thank you very much, and we're back at it again. I have uh, just saw a note come across the screen from Christian, uh, and uh, Christian, thank you for those encouraging comments. We'll do our best to deliver what you're requesting. The title for today's clinic is What Your Customer Wants, How to Predict Customer Behavior for a Maximum ROI. It's a very interesting topic to me. It goes beyond testing. It goes beyond changing headlines and basic optimization guidelines. And it takes us to the place where we have to think about what our customer is actually thinking. This is the danger. We as marketers have too wide a gap. We're trying to manage campaigns rather than that sort of knowledge gap we have. This gap is our lack of understanding as to what is unfolding in the customer's mind. In fact, we don't optimize web pages. We don't optimize email campaigns. But at MetLabs, we believe that you should be optimizing the thought sequence. That is not possible unless you can peer into the mind of the prospect, into the mind of the customer, and ask yourself, what are they thinking? What are they struggling with? What are they afraid of? As that thought process unfolds, there are there are conversion inhibitors and there are conversion contributors. A big part of the depth and understanding that makes an effective marketer is this sort of philosophical insight into the operating software, not on your computer, but in the mind of the customer. And I say all of that to share with you what's going to happen today. I'll be joined in this clinic with... Uh, with John Powell. John's been with me for many years, is one of our senior research managers, personally supervised the first experiment we're going to talk about, and I want to move directly into the case study with just one bit or one caveat. You'll notice on the, on the screen behind me, we've, we've kind of illustrated the marketer and the ideal customer. And uh, we know that the marketing effort is demanding. It requires time. It requires energy and budget, significant resources. We are launching campaigns all the time, being pressured by sales, pressured by management. And we're trying so hard to discover how that we often slip past the why factor. How do I hit my deadline? How do I get more opens? How do I improve my conversion rate? That question, as important as it is, can get between you and the most important point of the entire mental uh, exploration, and that is why. Why does my customer say yes? Why would my customer say no? Why are my customers not doing what I expected them to do? And the difference between customer behavior and marketer's expectation is the gap that we want to address in today's clinic. So, keeping that sort of as a context, let's dive right in to a case study. You'll see it's test protocol 4067. It's a medical provider specializing in treating chronic back pain. They're the sole providers of a sort of uh, minimally invasive, it's a sort of innovative pain management procedure. We spoke about this particular partner, a research partner before. We worked with uh, 
the key leaders at ROI Revolution. Their analysts manage the paid search campaign. We talked about this in a previous clinic, but this is new, and what you're going to see, will <laughs> I think you'll find quite interesting. John Powell worked on this case study, and uh, there's a primary research question. Now, remember, it is not the hypothesis question. It's the research question, and there's a difference. The research question, and it should whenever there is a sort of either-or research scenario. That happens in single factorial. That happens in multifactorial. The research question begins with the word which. But the word which is only going to describe for you a certain choice. It is not going to help you answer the deeper question unless you ask a different kind of, or with a different kind of interrogative. So, let's move on and, uh, and let's look at the test itself. We asked you, our community of, of subscribers and readers, to help us develop this test. We asked you to submit a paid search ad template that we could use in the test. And there were many submissions. The winner was Amy Harold of GDNash.com. And she submitted a particular template. We're going to look at that template in just a moment. But you'll notice this uh, connection here between medical condition keywords and ad abbreviated uh, sorts of words that we used in the, in the actual campaign. John Powell, you might want to just come up here with me and just stand with me as I unfold this. Point out anything in particular you want to share with us about this particular piece? No, we just wanted to understand exactly what was in common with all of these particular keyword searches and ad groups that were... Okay, all right. All right, so then here is the treatment design. And I want you to notice that we have a variable and we have a value. The variable, and this is classic in any test design, the variable is the description in line one. And the value will be our various versions of that description. So there is a headline. It's specific to the ad group's condition. There are a group of ads, and I'm going to show you this in more depth. If you don't fully understand it yet, it's coming. But there are a group of ads focused around the condition, and now what we're doing is we're drilling down on that first line, and we're modifying it in a series of versions to determine which version would help produce the highest lift. John, anything you would add to that? No. Okay. All right. So let's keep going then. Here is that key piece free access to back pain resources. And let's look. This would be uh, one of our treatments. Here is treatment two. What's the big difference here? Again, that first line. That is always in your test design, your value. I'll give you another example, just so you understand the difference between a variable and a value. Uh, so let's suppose you were testing a headline color. Your, your variable would be the headline color. Your value might be green, blue, red. In this case, our variable is the description, and our value now is compare available treatments. Let's look again. This is number three, T3, treatment three, focused on causes and solutions. It says learn about the causes and solutions. There again is the new value. And uh, let's go on and look at treatment four. Here it is, how to recognize the symptoms. Now, you'll notice everything else is the same. We're just changing this description, this variable, with this series of values. If you to look at all of these side by side, here's what you'll see. Four ads, almost identical, except for that key change in that description. Free access to back pain resources, uh, compare available treatments, how to recognize the symptoms, learn about the causes and solutions. Now, as you think about that, ask yourself in the audience, which one of these four do you think is going to help us achieve our gain? And I, I want you just to look at the four and vote. I'm going to walk over here. John, you can see over my shoulder. Your, your votes are coming in right now. 
Number three, says Grant. Number two, says Kara. Number three, says William. Number two, says John. Number three, says Jake. One, says Thelia. One, says Josh. One, says Tim. Three, says Kata. Two, says David. One, says Brian. Your lists are coming in. We're, we're tallying and watching these votes as they come. It's very interesting. Keep voting. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you think. So, again, these are the four differences. Give us your vote. Four, two, three, three, two, one, three, two, one, three, three, one. All right, now, as you think about that, let's just move right to the results and think even more deeply. Here, then, is the result of the experiment. You'll notice uh, number three was submitted by Amy, and it scored very well. It certainly beat back pain resources, treatment options, but it did not beat the final version, which was symptoms. See in bold on the symptoms piece. There's a 0.30% gain. There's a 99.7% increase uh, or relative difference. It's a dramatic gain. John, any comments on that in terms of background? The, just the one thing that we noticed was that of the two ones that did validate for a positive difference, yes. the one thing that they had in common was that it seemed like the visitor was trying to understand why. They weren't just interested in the solution. They were looking for answers. Answers. What kind of why? Why the solution would work? Is that what you're saying? Or, or, or what can I do? Where do I start? Why am I experiencing this? They're wanting to understand. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is uh, marketers combining art and science. I just wrote a piece about this from my book on how the two come together. They've done the science and now they're in a bit of the art. Uh, don't be surprised that despite our emphasis on science, we're constantly stressing that marketing also in, involves a bit of mystery, a bit of art. The marketer has to use art to bridge the difference between what they know from their science and what they need to know. It's art that helps you transcend the gap. It's intuition. It's perception. It's that sort of right-brained activity to oversimplify the processes of the right brain. All right, let's keep going because there's something deeper here. We're going to show you this. And remember that as we show it to you, what we're trying to achieve is... Uh, is a learning for you, a set of principles that will help you take an experiment like this and use it to dig deeper into the mindset of the person that you are trying to market to. So, back to this particular question. We began with this question and now let's consider this experiment across three critical principles. These principles will define everything we do today. And, uh, and we're going to take each of these three and... Uh, and and, and drill down deeply to help answer the primary question that we raised at the beginning of the clinic. So here's the first principle. All you need to know is enough to predict. Let me say that with a little bit more context. Customer research can generate an overwhelming amount of data, but we can cut through this with a simple maxim. All we need to know is enough to predict customer behavior. Now, I want to I give you some peace of mind, marketer, because if you are like most, you have this vague sense of uh, foreboding, this insecurity that you're not capturing enough metrics data, that you don't know your customers enough, that you haven't done your persona research, and to some extent, you haven't been able to, and it's not your fault. But frankly, this, this undone research hangs over our head like the sword of Democles, and we don't know how to escape it, because no matter how much we do, it doesn't seem to be nearly as much as we could do. No matter how much we know, it doesn't seem to be nearly as much as we could know. 
The problem with this is it will leave you feeling as if you can never know enough. And it's frustrating. It takes the fun out of sitting down to think through a campaign. I want to suggest to you that the goal of a customer theory or this whole business of, of doing customer research should be disciplined around a simple point, And that is all you need to know is enough to predict customer behavior. Now think about that for just a moment and let's show you how that connects with the case study that we just talked about here. And to do that, um, we're going to go back. And uh, as we do, I think it's important that you understand what we mean when we say customer theory. The customer theory, because this is a word used in our laboratory, and by the way, we think, and I would say this to anybody on this phone that has a direct connection with the C-suite, if you're a CMO or even a CEO, and sometimes on these web clinics we have senior leaders from some of the largest companies in the world, customer theory is at the heart of your competitive advantage. If you understand your customer better than your competitors do, you will be able to introduce better products with higher margin and with more market traction than they you'll find the greatest companies in the world have a profound understanding of their customer that their competitors often cannot match. Customer theory is an understanding of the customer that enables us to predict their total response to a given offer. Now, that's what we're really trying to do is understand enough. I don't care about where they live, what their income is, what their uh, religious preference is, if it doesn't enable me to predict their behavior, if that serves a way, for instance, if that helps me isolate a customer segment that I know has a certain level of motivation and it's useful information, it's good. But if not, I have a problem. And so, so I want to know only what I need to know to predict. And keeping that as part of the background, let's go back to these four ads because John had a critical issue here and that is how do we take this learning and translate it into customer wisdom? John, you want to share anything about what was going through your mind at this point when you got back those early experiment results? Well, I wanted to, I wanted to beat what they've had before this experiment. I wanted to try and take those learnings and apply them, and I didn't quite understand how um, other than to start exploring the question of why. What is it that they're looking for at this stage of the process, in the micro-yes process specifically, because it is fundamentally different than another segment of their customers which are looking for solutions at a different stage of the process based on different keywords. So I'm really looking to understand what is it that's going to motivate this group to get into the site, to find valuable information, and then to sign up. So, so you're looking almost for the psychological trigger. Yes. And, and so John now has to take that first experiment and say, how can we isolate the psychological trigger that will help us move them, move them towards the purchase, down the micro-yes path? So we designed an experiment, and uh, this experiment is now taking into consideration the previous experiment. It's reflected in a document that we developed. It's an actual tool called a test protocol. And you'll notice on your version of it, there's a hypothesis followed up by a question. And you'll see in the research side, there is a primary question and there is a secondary question. The hypothesis, the question, then leads to the variables that we're going to isolate in test. This is one tab. In fact, if you look at the bottom, uh, you'll see this is, a live, this is a live protocol we just pulled up. I want you to get a sense of this. We submitted this document in 2006 for patent. It was part of a much more complex series of uh, heuristics and an approach to this problem. It was just granted last month, and uh, we're, we're, we're pleased to see that. But I want you to know that so that you recognize there's a lot of science here. And on the front side is a sort of uh, planning document. You're looking at this planning document. This was used 
to translate the previous test learning into customer wisdom. A new test designed like that. And, and underneath that, look at the rest of the tabs at the bottom. There's partner information, screenshots. Take me to the screenshot tab, someone. If you can do that, we'll just move it to screenshots. Or is that something I need to do? There you go. These are all of the various ad groups. We're going to look at them in just a moment so that you can compare them. Then there's optimization background information. Let's just slide over and look at that. And uh, this is all kinds of data from optimization background. Then let's look at uh, the validity tab. Just a quick uh, validation calculation piece here. This is built into the document's design. By the way, you can learn to use these. Uh, we have an online testing course. No, I don't have a slide selling the online testing course. I'm just telling you that there is a simple four to six hour course you can take that teaches you how to design a test properly. It's part of our research here. It is not a major revenue driver, but it's something that our audience needs, and so we produced it for them, and we've got an updated version coming out very soon. Uh, all I'd like you to know is that you really move from the planning piece over to the results piece. Show me the summary, which will be your last tab there. That's it. And you can see in this tab, if you look at it carefully, this is now taking those original questions and scroll down for me and uh, hit, uh, yeah, make it larger. You can do that with a little arrow on the right-hand side. There we go. There we go. All right, now scroll down. Here's the actual results. And all the things that we discovered, all the ways we protected against validity errors. Uh, listen, so many people are testing on the Internet and making decisions based on bad data sets. You've got to learn the fundamentals of designing a test just want to leave it right here for a moment. In fact, I think we'll go back to the deck. I want you to understand that this document was help controlling the process. If you're on this call and you say, wait a second, I'm lost. I'll never be able to do all that. I don't have a test protocol. I, I want you to know that you don't have to have this document or specialized understanding to learn from this clinic something you can do right now that you can take back and use to translate data into wisdom, to change metrics from, from, from how much to why so. As I, as I share that with you, I want to shift now from the protocol to the actual test, share it with you. These are the control and treatments that were designed. These are separate groups. And I'd like to break down how they helped us isolate a learning. John's going to help me with that. If you've just joined this clinic, if this is the first MechLabs clinic, it will be dense with content. But we don't want to overwhelm you. We don't want to impress you with how... Um, our academic credentials, the history of the lab, or how clever one of our analysts might be. The goal here is to serve you. It's not just about marketing. It's about the marketer teaching you in a way that will empower you to go back and get a result. So, so bear with us. If this sounds a little bit complex, it's going to get simple and actionable before we're done. John, uh, that's a quick overview. I'm just going to move through the groups real quick. Okay? Any, any context you want to give me first before I do? Um, no, the only other thing that we wanted to do and we stressed to the research team is to make it as fair as a test as possible, really isolate the variables so that we could get a very clean result. Okay. All right. So um, we're moving and you can see in the screen behind me that there's a hypothesis uh, for number two, experiment number two. Now, this is control. This isn't treatment two. This is the control and this is the general hypothesis. John, can you just summarize the hypothesis in a, in a, in a heartbeat for us? Uh, what we wanted to discover and prove or disprove was whether uh, the symptom focus would outperform the control ads if that was the trigger that we were um, that's going to get the customer. Oh, no, you said symptom focus. So uh, let me just drill down. We're saying there's a lot of ways to talk about this treatment, but right. if we focused on symptoms, would it produce a higher lift? Yes. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. All right, so I'm going to move on. And uh, I'm going to go to our first attempt. Here's a treatment. How is 
How is treatment one trying to achieve that, John? So if treatment one wins, we will learn that the symptom content approach is most effective when used only in the headline. So headline, if we just put it in the headline, will it produce lift? All right, so in the headline only, do we get a lift? That's simple. Let's go to treatment two. Explain treatment two for us. Uh, if it's only in description, will oh. we get a lift? All right, not so, headline. So description will be the first line underneath the headline. Is that what we're That's talking correct. about? So now we're trying to see a symptom focus. Now, just to make the connection, we realized in the first round of experiments that it was the symptom focus that seemed to produce the gain. Right. So now we're trying to extend that in our understanding, and that will tell us something about how the customer's thinking. This is a hypothesis not about ads, but about what matters the most to the customer with this stage in the thought sequence. So now we've tried it in the headline. Now we're trying it in the description line. And let's move on. Treatment three. This is for all of these ads in this group. What's the key here, John? Uh, it's both headline and description. It's probably the most holistic, full uh, approach to putting symptoms forward. All right. So now we have it combined in the headline and in the description. So this is a hybrid of the last two, correct? Correct. So let's put it all together. So we have the control. We've tried to improve that with treatment one, treatment two, and treatment three. John has already explained to you the differences between these treatments. I think it's time for results, but I really want to hear what the audience thinks. Which one wins? One, two, or three? Tell me quickly, audience. Here comes their notes. I'm expecting this, and I think the audience is going to get it right. By the way, the general vote the first time around was wrong. 74% of the time when we do marketer's intuition and test it, it's incorrect. But I think most of you are getting it. I think you're believing that it's probably going to be the hybrid. I see a lot of threes. Melvin, I think Melvin's at a two. And I see Robert courageously holding on to one. Robert, congratulations. There are no trick questions here. It may be a one. Um, we're just going to share with you what the data says. But, but uh, uh, let's go on. Wayne Kessler says a three. I see Cheryl as a three. Eric is a three. Uh, and uh, Tim has a question mark. Tim, I don't know what that means, a question mark. I don't know how to, I don't know how to rate that on our, on our scale. Uh, and uh, a lot more threes coming in. And, uh, and Grant, Grant, what does ha mean? H-A, ha. Apparently he knows something we don't know. All right. All right, so, so keeping that in mind, they're all laughing in the studio. We're, we're, we're looking at these and we're going straight to results. Here they are. So look at the difference. Look at the difference. It was the combination, it was the combination, T3, which I think most of you expected, changing it at the headline level and the description level that produced a further gain of 40.6%. Right. What are your thoughts on that, John? <laughs> it's like I say to a lot of partners, sometimes you can't separate um, coffee, you can't separate it from the cream and sugar. It has to be combined to get the full effect. That's what we really wanted to understand here, and that kind of proves the point that in order for them to truly get the, the symptoms approach to see it and to connect with it and to click. They needed to see it both in the headline and that first line in the description. Excellent, John. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, John is a rising star in our group and I remember when he started, I, I, I'll tell him, he started in Mech Labs years ago as my assistant and uh, now he's a senior leader and, we're, and we're very, I'm very proud of him. Uh, let me keep going and, and, and I'm going to now take this to three questions. So stop for a second. Say to yourself, okay, I don't have all the perfect data. I've got some paid search ads. I have some test results. But what's the general track I can follow as an ordinary marketer to get more wisdom so I can predict behavior better, so I can achieve my KPIs, so I can get promoted, so one day I can run the company, I can fire the mean salesperson who's been abusing me and set this organization right. Sort of that cause and effect chain. 
Thinking about it that way, let me show you the three questions that we think drive this kind of wisdom. The first is a research question. It's which. Which uh, headline? Which approach? Whatever that value is that you're changing in the variable, that's your which question. And a good research question always begins that way. But once you get a result and you have to do what John did, you have to say, but why? And when John asked that question, John noticed that the ads that were winning were those that were focused on symptoms. This is in the first experiment, which led to a deeper question. What does that tell me about my customer? And the answer to that informs your customer theory. What you can know in that way about your customer can help you achieve a more robust understanding. Gain that competitive advantage. Predict the customer's behavior. And so, John then postulated a new test that would confirm what he was suspecting and he would go right back then with the which. Which approach? Headline only? Description only? Headline and description. And that gave him a new set of whys. And he tried to tell you about coffee, cream, and sugar to explain what he's thinking, which makes him think about how you penetrate into the mind of that person with high impact, which brings him back to the what question. All of those connect and they increase the wisdom that we're gaining. We worked with the ROI Revolution people on this. I appreciate Tim and his group for being good partners, helping us implement this across their campaigns. And it's had a major impact on this organization's paid search. So, well done for everybody that was involved in the project. Now, let's keep cashing it in. Follow with me. I want to keep teaching. I have two more principles and they get easier to understand and easier to apply as they go. By the way, before... We're done. I'm going to show you what appears to be a colossal failure on the part of our own team. An embarrassing set of experiments. Uh, those are coming uh, towards the end. For now, I'm going to move you to this next piece to illustrate my point. You see the which, why, and what? Here it is in action. By the way, that just kind of rounds out what I'm trying to say. Because driving that is this more robust customer theory which helps you refine this value proposition. In fact, I just want to pause there because I, I, frankly, that animated after I got done saying everything I could think of saying. And now that I see it on the screen, it's rather clever. And, uh, and so I, I, want to, I want to bring it back to you. The, the, the which, the why, and the what inform this whole business of uh, customer knowledge, customer theory. And the increased knowledge about the customer, the customer theory, translates into a more refined value proposition. You may be in uh, right now with your team struggling to get the value proposition right for a product, struggling to get it right for a whole organization. This is where the testing process comes in. The Internet is more than another channel. We'll talk about that in another point coming up. But as you keep moving through this series, you're able to fill in those gaps and thus improve the articulation of your value proposition. Which brings me to an example. Here's a group. They had a value proposition. It was poorly communicated. They worked very hard on solving it. They came to classes. They came to training. And finally, we ran some tests to help them solve the issue. I want you to see how the first treatment, we're not even going to look. We're not going to look at what we did. But the first treatment produces a 200% gain. And you'd think you're done. But no, that leads to that, that cycle of which, why, what. So a new cycle goes. We want to move this now to templates without hurting the actual performance because we've got to get the content on a template and we wonder what that customer is going to do, how they're going to react to that particular presentation. Can we move it without losing them? We move it carefully. We get a minor gain. We don't go backwards. We set a best line. We go through the same cycle again. Which? Why? What? That drives another 30% improvement. It's compounding. It's actually hitting the PL now in a significant way. 
And that cycle sets us up at some point. Remember the illustration from the previous slide? That, that silhouette of the customer and the blue line rising as we gain more knowledge? At some point, we hit critical mass. And that critical mass translates to what you see here, which is gains all across the enterprise. Gains that are being captured from this, this kind of new understanding about what's happening in the mind of the customer. That is what I'm trying to say in simple form, grounded experimentation. We've been learning this from 10,000 plus tests across landing pages and paths like this. This brings me to the second principle. The Internet is a laboratory. I'm going to explain that in more depth. We said earlier that customer research can generate an overwhelming amount of data. All we need to know is enough to predict customer behavior. We'll say now that the Internet is not just another marketing channel. It is the primary laboratory for conducting customer research. This is what got me involved years ago. Let me check my time. I've got to be careful because I could wax eloquent on this point and, and, and get us behind. I was a philosopher trying to understand value exchange. And we're releasing our catalog right now of research over these past many years. And I remember thinking, if the nodes increase and the bandwidth increases between the nodes, we're going to see human activity in real time, measurable, like never before in the history of the world. But at that point, I couldn't find anyone excited about it. I tried to get professors at Cambridge to do research. I tried a lot of things. We finally founded this laboratory that grew into what it is today. And at the heart of it, it's a simple question. Why do people say yes? Why do people say yes? Why do people say yes? And underneath that has been this capacity to use the Internet to cut through philosophy, do science, and answer the question. Now, I, I, I don't want to stop doing philosophy. Philosophy makes you go back and question your warrants. It makes you question the operating system that your software is working within. When I say your software, I mean our mental software, our, our, our linguistics, and all those ways we approach marketing. But science has allowed us to measure, to peer into human behavior in real time, and that's what the Internet can do for you. So we need to know how to do that, how to approach that. Descartes, I, uh, this was lifted from one of my books, Descartes, and I don't know why it says source unknown, because you didn't have time, did you? You need to put the source. I'll give you the source. Uh, I actually had them fling this on the slide just a few minutes before I got up to teach. I just mentioned it to, to Paul. To know what people really think, pay regard to what they do rather than what they say. Now, that's a translation from the French. We'll get the original source. Make sure that's in the deck when we go live. The point I want to make for you is way back then, Descartes saw into human nature and had an insight that is still profound and still relevant today. If you want to get inside of your customer's mind, don't rely on focus groups or opinion research. Are focus groups wrong? No, they're not. Are they absolutely useless? No, they are not. But they are used so many times to justify what an executive already knows. They're used so many times to, to, to validate a new launch when in fact they don't produce the desired result. Why? Because it's not what people say that matters, it's what they do. An alignment between what we say and what we do is important as marketers. But the customer often doesn't even know what they're going to do to a given offer until it's presented to them in a real-life context. And so you're going to see on this uh, pyramid uh, an approach that grounds the intuition of a marketer, which we think is valuable. I keep stressing to my team that I've had 15 years of rigorous emphasis on science inside of this lab that might make someone think that we believe the science component is the critical and only component that should drive effective marketing. I do not think so. 
I have too many gaps in my knowledge. There are too many questions unanswered, both about the approach to marketing and about what's happening in the mind of my prospect. I have to use art. I have to use perception. I have to use intuition to bridge the gap. And by the way, so do most scientists in any endeavor. Look at Kuhn's work on that and all the subsequent arguments since. The point I want to make for you is that marketer's intuition is good, but marketer's intuition needs to then be followed up with a process and their opinion research can narrow down alternatives and provide you with certain guidance that helps you design proper experiments. But in the end, it's a behavioral test. For those of you that say, well, it can't be a behavioral test. Um, focus groups ought to be enough. It's always a behavioral test because whether you call it a test or not, at some point you've got to take it to market and try to sell it. And whether it sells or not, how often, how well, is the ultimate behavioral test. I just prefer to fail on purpose than by accident. So I like the first phase of that to be a test phase as opposed to a make or break promise to the management team. So keep this pyramid in mind and let's, let's think about it. Uh, a little bit more. Here is the traditional approach. Now, if you're on the phone right now, you might be saying uh, amen uh, to coin a phrase. Uh, if you're in, in mid-level marketing and you can't get the C-suite to give you the permission to do what you want to do. And I'm sorry if that's all you can do. But for those of you on the phone with the power to make a change, let me show you that this traditional model is broken. What you often see is the business leader creates the product. It's pushed out through the agency, there's a briefing that's done, there's creative that's prepared, there's a media buy, and it's implemented across the marketing organization. And at some point in that process, down the road, it's pushed over to the online group. Often we see a fracture. The online group is not even part of the offline group. They're separate. But however you do it, it comes to, to, the, to the online group too late. If you really want to use, and I have seen this, this is not just a theory. I could point to major companies around the world where we have done this, and I've seen a dramatic impact on their results. We pretest the value proposition. But we do that by getting the internet piece here, right at the beginning. When business leaders are creating a product, they need to test the, the validity of their thinking using the online approach to refine both the offer in the form of the value proposition and the messaging all around the offer before it reaches the agency. The agency should be given guidelines. Now, if you're on the phone in your agency, and there are many agencies on the line, I'm not trying to take this away from you. In fact, you may have to do this at the beginning of your process to enable your company to function properly. In some cases, if the agencies would do this first, it would give you a major advantage over your competitors, number one. And number two, it would solve a problem inside of these major companies who can't get the business leaders to do it in cooperation with the online group and in cooperation with the agency. All I would suggest for you is that you need to view the Internet as a lab and you need to involve this research on the front side and then follow up with your creative and the implementation of your marketing into all your other online and offline channels. The model you're seeing on the screen right now, this particular model has yielded dramatic results all over the world. So, keeping that in mind, um, I want to uh, take you to one more point quickly and then we're going to get to the third principle. Uh, you can see this slide, which I'll just shift. Paul Cheney, who helped develop this, put this slide together showing you actual examples from our own files and showing you how these lower investment channels like the internet can help you craft your messaging before you get to the higher investment channels. And Paul, I've already said it, but it's a very pretty slide, so I had to say it again and put it up there. Yeah. All right, I know I probably spent hours on that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. <laughs> so, so I'm on to the third critical point. 
This one is the one that I think you'll find counterintuitive. If uh, your time is limited, I think this will be the point that you might uh, find your most interest and actually quite practical, not to mention the fact that I'm going to show you some embarrassing test results. So, here is the third principle. The goal of a test is not simply to get a lift, but rather to get a learning. And even a negative test can translate into positive results. Let's talk about that. Here's a test protocol 1092 from our library. The company is a publisher of electronic marketing information. They're experts in marketing. They're selling their expertise. This is not us. It's a British company. And the goal was to increase registrations for a free letter. They had a thoroughly optimized page. It was their highest producing page. It is on the surface ugly. It did work. They came to us and said, can you help us? Here is the page. Now, you can see the page is simple. You can see there's nothing particularly uh, attractive. In fact, if you're an agency, you'd probably get fired if you produced a page like this. But it produced significant revenue for them, and then we began a series of tests. I'd like to show you two treatments. Here's treatment one. It involves a lot of things that we teach. And by the way, you'll see the gray on here. The gray is because we're, uh, we're attempting to, to essentially anonymize uh, the organization. But you'll see testimonials, major brands, third-party indicators, a different headline. You'll see on treatment two. In fact, let me just look at some of the breakdowns. These are all things you've heard us talk about in clinics. Clear headline emphasis, featured clients, bolded key terms, form fields reduced, I mean friction, anxiety, all the things we talk about, the conversion sequence have been implemented on this page. It is a, a good piece of science. Let's look at treatment two. Again, another approach. Headline is even stronger. Added more testimonials. Rearranged page to give a better site flow. Added a personal feel with images and a handwritten signature. Uh, we improved uh, the request with tell me where to send. Look at these two pages. In fact, look at them side by side right now next to the control. And as you look at them, ask yourself a question. Which one of these is the highest performer? And why? So, I'd like you to vote. Audience, tell me. Here we go. I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm watching. Some of you, some of you, uh, there we go. Two, three, three. I saw several ones. One, two, two, three. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, there are, are a guy, you say C. I assume that means three. Uh, Hamid says three. Lisa says two, Sally says one, John says three, Tom says one. All right, looking at these three side by side, let's look at the actual results. What you'll notice is the conversion rate for the control is 14.26%. And treatment one, it's 6.74%. We managed to grow conversion by a negative 53% with our fancy treatment. By the way, I don't think our treatment's very attractive. It's a test. But it's isolating variables and it's improving many of them. Let's look at treatment two. Treatment two is in front of you and you'll see that we proudly improved our performance moving from a negative 53% to a negative 52%. Now, in case it hasn't hit you yet, that's not a positive thing on the surface. It's negative. Conversion rates went down, way down. Now, I want to I wanna, I wanna, I wanna challenge you for a moment because the conversion rate went way down, but I would challenge you with this thought. The pages, one and two, are actually better. They're better pages, but they're not better performing pages. In the end, 
It's not always the better page that wins. It's the better message. And the message is synchronized to the thought sequence of the individual who is interacting with your creative. We optimize the web page, but we failed to optimize the thought sequence. And that's because we didn't have enough customer data yet. Now, by the way, these were what I would call planned failures. And in fact, these tests were not failing tests. They were valid, number one. And number two, they produced important learnings. I really, I really want you to stop and think differently about the testing process. The goal of these tests was not to get a lift. It was to get a learning. And these tests helped us understand something very important about the thought sequence of the individuals interacting with this page. So, I share that with you because I want you to start to think differently about your whole testing process. If you get a maximum lift, it's going to be not simply because you got lucky and ran a few chaotic test designs and scored, but rather because you gained a significant or sufficient understanding of the customer's thinking process. The enemy of excellence is adequacy. And often what's costing us the most is our successful test. Our successful tests are costing us because we think we've optimized the page. After all, we got a 20% left. But listen to me. If you proudly announce to the management team that you got a 20% lift on that page, and then because it's successful, you move on, come back a year later and test it again, how much money have you lost if you should have and could have got a 60% increase on that page, and now for the next 12 months, you're leaking the differential? That's going on everywhere. It's going on everywhere. And, and so, we need to be careful that we're not thinking about lifts, we're thinking about learnings, and then we're translating learnings into the greatest possible lift. That's what's going on here. We're learning something very important about the customer's process. Here's the control. And, and what you need to understand and what we suspected as we started studying our data sets and planning the test is that the customer was in a different mindset when they landed on this page. And by going back, studying what was happening in the channel, we knew that they came here to get instant access and they were already sold. If they are already sold, if they're that mature in the thought process, then everything we're doing to resell them is only giving them more reasons to think about why they shouldn't make the purchase. Or shouldn't at least make this next micro-yes in the unfolding uh, journey of micro-yeses. So, the difference here is that we have to match the page to the thought sequence and instead of applying the, you might say, MechLab's researched best practices to fix a page, what we're really trying to do is use these tests to eliminate options to understand how mature the thought process was so we could create the page that would appeal to them at just the right point in the sequence of microguesses. And in doing so, we discovered that the best way to improve conversion was absolutely counterintuitive. Because look, uh, and this isn't on my slides, but if you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. There's only three ways to fix a page. This is philosophy. And I'm going to give you an imminently simple translation of philosophical principles. They go all the way back to Aristotle. Um, but we'll keep them very simple. All that you can do is, is change something. Well, let's put it this way. 
You can change something, you can add something, or you can take something away. Let's just think about a page. You can change the headline. You can add more content. You can take more content away. Uh, but you can't really do anything else to that page. It might be the same with the graphics, but including all the elements, you've got three choices. And mostly what we do is change and add. Change and add. Change and add. All too infrequently do we take away. Often taking away produces a higher lift. And in this case, here's what we did. We reduced it dramatically. Now, remember, this was for a marketing company. They were already experts in marketing. They'd already done all kinds of optimization. And they had produced a, a page that <laughs> gave a significant yield. It's a very profitable group. But now we did something that was probably completely unexpected. We took their best work and we cut it in half. So, look again at the control and at the treatment. What's the difference between these two? This. A 78% increase. I want to go back. I'm going to take the slides back. The treatment on the right produced 78% more than the treatment on the left. What's happening here? What's happening is that we are dramatically reducing, dramatically decreasing the amount of content so as to match where they're at in the thought sequence, which is, I just want to do this. How do I do it as simple as possible? The text above the box required them to engage their mind and make more meaning. Once they're at the point that you have micro-yes, you want to do nothing that slows down the velocity of the cell. The velocity of the cell is a key to achieving maximum conversion. So we intensified, we increased velocity by reducing. And in doing so, they got a lift. What's the summation of all this? Well, it's, it's really this. In most companies, that test sequence would appear to be something like this. We tried, we failed. We tried, we failed. Eureka. We got it. That's not the real way to view this test. We tried, we succeeded. We tried, we succeeded. We tried, and we succeeded yet again. The gain comes and is built on the other two experiments. And you've got to think about testing in that way. And may I say, you've got to create those kinds of expectations in your management, in your senior leadership, so they understand the testing process. All right, I'm going to stop there for just a moment. I want to summarize these three key principles, and I'm going to let you ask me some questions. I need you to help me, Paul. And my team stand by, and I'm going to try to answer some of the questions from the audience. Here's the first principle again. Customer research can generate an overwhelming amount of data, but all you need to know is enough to predict customer behavior. Number two, the Internet is not just another marketing channel. It is the primary laboratory for conducting customer research. And number three, the goal of a test is not simply to get a lift, but rather to get a learning. Even a negative lift can translate into a positive result. Uh, while your questions are coming in, let me see here. Did site visitors know about the offer from TV and other media, said Guy? The answer is yes. Yes. And then Derek says, check out the current page. Derek, that's a funny comment. I haven't looked at that page in years. I'd like to check out that page, and we shall. Uh, make sure that we do that in our group, John. Make a note to Austin. I'd like to see what it looks like now. Um, and, uh, and someone says, how do we formulate, this is Daniel, the proper research question that leads to a testable hypothesis resulting in a learning? Now, that's a great question. It deserves its own clinic. At the very least, uh, uh, I'd like you to, to fire that question to one of my team members. We might talk about it in our blog, Paul, in more depth. Well, we've written our, I've written an article on that. John, come on up here. 
uh, you might want to answer that. John just mentioned he's, he's in the uh, studio uh, over at the seats and he just walked up the front. John has written an article on that piece. You want right. to give us a brief uh, summary, John? Right. I, I basically wrote an article on the blog on how to design a test in order to get a learning um, and a lift at the same time. And I've actually written two articles. I've written one that addresses radical redesigns, so the more complex, and then the uh, simpler version, which was published probably about a year ago or so, that goes through the entire process of where do I start and then how do I get to the point of test. And right now, I'm actually working on one that, uh, an article that is about test sequence. Okay. So um, the broader version of that. But it's on there online, just uh, Marketing Experiments blog. All right. I, I want to actually do more than that. Um, I want to get a link posted so that anybody can get those. Audience, would you like to get access to those links? And I, 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 I'm seeing through the glass window of the studio on the other side. I don't know if Daniel's over there. Uh, Daniel, if you've got comments, feel free to interrupt. Help me know how to get them to that link. Okay. Okay. So he's going to tweet the link. All right. So hashtag web clinic will tweet the links to you so that you can get to that, those articles that'll try to help answer that question. Now, Paul, I need you to be picking out questions for me, um, because they're coming in so fast and there's so many comments. I, I can't, I can't see them. So let me make sure that Daniel and the team are doing that. Here's one right now. Okay. I see it. SEO versus value prop. If you're trying to get 5% word density to rank well, it's not easy to write value prop statements. Okay, look, um, this is a classic. We've written on this as well, and we've taught on this, how to balance the SEO demands with optimization demands. But one of the killers of conversion is the wrong emphasis or a misunderstanding of how to use SEO. You can, and we can demonstrate study after study, particularly when it comes to value proposition, it's much easier to articulate your value proposition than it is, say, to play with the overall design without impacting SEO. We have principles. We're not saying it's easy to balance the two. But be aware that you don't let yourself be held hostage by SEO principles because it doesn't matter if 10,000 visit the page and your conversion rate is so substandard that you're not gaining the lift that you could. Now, I'm not trying to speak poorly of SEO because we do it all the time. And John has a comment he wants to make on that. I'm going to let John comment on that. But I'd like to point out for you also that, um, that even though you may have a challenge when it comes to articulating the value proposition, that typically will help your SEO, not hurt it. John, go yeah. ahead. Just to piggyback on what you just said, that one of the tests that we've talked about uh, probably 100 times in these clinics that I ran with one of our partners, when we did the test um, managing the thought sequence and the value prop, we actually gained rank in natural search rankings and increase the traffic. So when we went to go test against that, the SEO guy was like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Don't want you to start taking things away or changing because you got me this nice fat gain in, in <laughs> SEO because we, well, wrote value prop statements. Yeah, value prop will, will often help your SEO, all right? Um, and uh, keep uh, highlighting questions, Paul, for me. And, and also, Daniel, uh, you might want to tweet uh, a link also to the clinic on balancing SEO and paid search, uh, uh, SEO and uh, optimization. That very problem we addressed in a full-length clinic where I was teaching just like now. I have a question highlighted here from Scott Small. It says, do you think it's possible to have one page be both an organic landing page and a paid landing page? I think it's possible, but why would you ever do it? Right. I mean, if it's, you've got control of the URL, then you might as well send that URL to a distinct page made precisely for paid search. And you do when it's coming out of Google or somewhere. So I would, if at all possible, create separate landing pages from my paid search. Any other comment on that, John? No, we did just that with a research partner as well and we're able to see gains. Excellent. Excellent. Very good. All right. So 
Paul, here's another question. This is from Sean. Sean says, can you talk about application of customer theory to engaging charitable donations rather than purchasing a product or service? Actually, Sean, it's a great question. I had a conversation today with Tim Kuchuriak, who's an expert on this topic, and he was presenting a deck. It was 112 slides long, showing one of the largest provider of services to charitable companies, more than a thousand charitable organizations, how applying these principles can improve two key metrics. The first one was, um, the first one was the number of donations, and the second was the amount of the average donation. Tim is not an employee of Mech Labs. He's a student who's been at our summits and clinics and has been very careful to apply the principles, built the methodology around that just for uh, nonprofits. Now, we work with them as well, but here's the point. You're still selling, and you're still uh, facing some very significant challenges like trust and credibility, and there is uh, a value proposition for every nonprofit, in fact, yours is particularly competitive, and it might come to it might be boiled down to the answer to this question: If if I'm the ideal donor, why would I give my money to you rather than to any of these other causes? If you can't answer that question, you're going to be struggling, and the only way you'll raise money is through the personal influence and personal relationships. What you need is something more compelling than that to get major traction. And we've done research with World Vision and some of the largest charities in the world. And uh, there's a lot more we might say about that. Here's what I'd like. If some of you are interested, I don't know how many of our listeners are interested in how to apply these to nonprofits, but send us some, uh, uh, an email or tweet that question to us and we'll determine whether or not we might want to have a special clinic sometime designed just to help the nonprofit sector. Um, we're running... We're going to take uh, a couple more questions quickly. And, um, oh, I need to be... Uh, Paul just reminded me to take you to this slide. And I'm going to keep asking questions. But really, uh, Tim is going to be at the Optimization Summit I just mentioned. He's going to be speaking on what he did in that work. Again, he's, he's coming as a... He's not promoting McLabs. He's coming as a student talking and as a marketer himself talking about what he's discovered applying these principles in that, in that context. I don't know if you know about Optimization Summit. Um, you probably do by now. We held the first of the... We have many summits around the country for email and many things, but we heard the first Optimization Summit last year. We sold out. In fact, we had double the projections of our original attendance. We're going to do it this year in Denver. Now, you know something? I can stand up here, follow a script. I have none. I can stand up here and engage hype and sales language. I will not. But I, I am not afraid to say with passion that this is an, uh, a remarkable event. All we're doing in this summit is revealing case studies, experiments. There are no vendors selling from the platform. Uh, what you have instead is either one of our analysts or scientists sharing with you what they've discovered, or you have an actual marketing practitioner who lives every day just like you do, uh, by the sword, you might say, trying to achieve results, sharing both their failures and their successes. Uh, we had an overwhelming response last year. And I would encourage you to get registered soon. I don't want to create a false sense of urgency, but I promise you we will sell out. Okay, so Paul just said from the floor that we also have this uh, special running for four more days or three more days in terms of cost. I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'd like to answer another question, but I would like you to come. I would like to meet the audience in person, and I'll certainly be there speaking and uh, the day before, the day after, and at the event. With that in mind, I'm going to cut back over here to one more question. And uh, it says, sales calls value prop, the positioning statement. 
I don't understand that. Sales calls value. Pro I don't understand that. How the positioning statement is articulated depends on who it is for. Same application. The results refine the persona understanding. I think I understand your question. Let me just touch it in brief. When I teach on value proposition, I'm summarizing um, all of our research for the last nearly 20 years on this. And here's what I would say. There is a primary value proposition. That's the organization's. But it has derivatives. It's interpreted into a value prop for your for your prospect types, your product types, and even the processes like form buttons. These all have derivative value propositions connected to the primary value proposition. We call them the four P's. Primary, product, prospect, and process. I'm getting ready to do a major lecture teaching how all of these come together. In fact, that's the opening lecture at the Optimization Summit, by the way, where I talk about how to combine these, how to create these, and how to use them to dramatically intensify the force of all of your marketing efforts. All right. I'm going to stop, but I want to thank John for being with us today. It's good to see you here. John, when you stepped through my office those many years ago, you didn't know that you'd be standing in a studio with me no teaching, did kidding, you? Huh? <laughs> uh, he's come a long ways. I, uh, my office is a classroom. I have uh, six seats behind me, and all of them are men like John that are rising up in their abilities, participating in everything we're doing. I'm talking about my personal office. It's right in the middle of the building. And uh, John, uh, uh, congratulations for all of your growth and progress. I want to thank the whole audience for coming today. We don't charge for these clinics. There's more than $15 million for free research at marketingexperiments.com. We just ask one thing. Tell somebody about the clinic. Tell somebody about the research. Uh, that's how we have grown. And that's how we're building this community of marketers that are focused on evidence, that want to discover what truly works. Thank you again. We'll be back in about two weeks with more research for you. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments live web clinic. You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketing.